0: Let's get to the war and uh, chapter 32. The king of Assyria threatens Jerusalem. So the Assyrian empire overlaps with what you think of as Mesopotamia, basically, and some parts to the east. So there are the, the Elamites and so forth. into uh, Mesopotamia is what we would think of today as Iraq. And then to the east and north would be Iran and Afghanistan. Assyria was portions of all of those things. Okay? That's what we're talking about with Assyria. At about this same time, uh, uh, a little bit after Isaiah's time, a prophet named Habakkuk saw in a vision that Assyria would disappear almost overnight And that whole thing would just vanish. And that is what happened to the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians began to get non-Assyrian nationals to, to, to even serve as officers in the army. It was as if it was beneath the Assyrians to have to go out and fight the wars. Let's get the Elamites to do that and the Babylonians and others. And one day at a staff meeting, this is my own impression of what happened based on my teaching and preaching Habakkuk, is that one day at an officer's staff meeting, the commanding general of the Assyrian army, a, a, a Babylonian national, he looked around the table and thought, there are no Assyrians here. Who are we fighting for and why? And they, they realized none of our units are Assyrians either. What, what's going on? Who's in power and why? And so they simply turned around and marched on Assyria and all of a sudden, it's it's smaller and smaller and smaller until at the Battle of Carchemish, in 600 whatever that was, um, the Assyrian Empire just disappears, and it's and that, from that moment on, it's just Babylon. So that's what's going to happen to this. But that's 100 years away. We're still in 701 BC, and that hasn't that hasn't happened yet. After these events and this faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came into Judah. And laid siege to the fortified cities. He intended to capture them for himself. This is now Hezekiah's 14th year. So we've gone from those early years, those wonderful years where he is an iconoclast and smashing the idols. By the way, all of them false idols. Just remember to keep that in your head for what's coming. Um, and now Sennacherib comes in and Sennacherib, in his own writings, talks about this campaign. Sennacherib actually attacked, I think the number is 46 cities of Israel and Judah and captured them. And he also says he attacked Jerusalem. So I attacked and captured 46 cities of the Israelites and I attacked Jerusalem. What's missing from that sentence? The word captured doesn't occur with the Jerusalem part of it. And that's significant. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and was ready to wage war against Jerusalem, I'm going to come back to that phrase in a second, he made plans with his officials and soldiers to block the water supply from the springs outside the city. Hezekiah takes the Assyrian threat seriously. I have this whole list, I think it's of six bullet points, of the things that Hezekiah is going to do about this Assyrian threat Um, And beginning with the water supply, Hezekiah has to change the water supply. And how many of you, I'm going to ask of the seven who are here, how many of us have heard of Hezekiah's tunnel? Okay, almost half. That's pretty good. I'll show you pictures. It's pretty cool stuff. Let's go back to to the second half of verse 2. Was ready to wage war against Jerusalem. Actually in Hebrew is set his face on Jerusalem. That's a unique phrase. No, it's not unique. It occurs twice in the Bible. So he set his face on Jerusalem, and who else did this? Jesus set his face on Jerusalem. It's the same expression. Uh, one for attacking Jerusalem and one for destroying sin. Um, but so Sennacherib and Jesus had the same attitude, both incidentally coming out of the north. Um, coming down to Jerusalem. That would be an interesting sermon. Wow. I haven't officially picked my text yet for next week, Tuesday, so maybe I'll preach on this. I don't know. They helped him by gathering, this is back to the tunnel, they helped him by gathering a large group of people who stopped all the springs and the water channel that flowed through the middle of the land. They said, why should the kings of Assyria come and find abundant water? You know, it's, it's, it's like the attackers come and you've left them with supplies. You know, no, let's sh- at least shut the, the water supply off. Um, and so that's what he wants to do. Hezekiah strengthened his position. He rebuilt the whole part of the wall that had been broken down, I believe, in his father's time. He made the towers taller. How do you make towers taller? If you just build on, if it's not ready for it, it might. F- you got to reinforce the whole tower, don't you? So it usually means making, uh, they're called buttresses when you put reinforcements on the outside and so forth. Um, except at which dorm at MLC? The old woman's dorm, which was called, uh, it's the one that's shaped like an L. Centennial, Centennial Hall. Um, <clears throat> do you know that all the electricity and all the plumbing and everything goes up to the ceiling of the top floor in Centennial Hall? because it was designed to be able to hold extra floors above if they ever want to rebuild. So we could, we could rebuild up there. you know. I don't know if they're planning on it, but they could. They could put an extra floor up there or two on top of Centennial Hall um, or a racquetball court or whatever they wanted to do. Um, so he made the towers taller. He made a second wall outside the first wall. That's military planning, isn't it? That means you put your soldiers out there on the outer wall, and now you have a ready-made redoubt. A redoubt is when, uh, in the cowboy movies, when you circle the wagons, but the, the enemy is going to break through. You've got, like, grain sacks and stuff piled up in a little in a smaller circle that you can run back to for the last possible stand until the cavalry comes or whatever. That's a redoubt. And Hezekiah made the original fortress of Jerusalem, his redoubt, by putting an extra wall outside. It was brilliant military leadership. Um, He strengthened the millow of the city of David. That's the rampart that supports the temple. It's got to be reinforced because there's going to be, you know, maybe stones coming out of catapults and things. In Jerusalem, yes, there are remnants of Hezekiah's wall. Somebody went around and drew every brick on the exterior wall of Jerusalem and color-coded them according to the period so that there are drawings where there's like blue, purple, pink, green, yellow, and some of it say, says Hezekiah. So yeah, there are, there are you, you can find Hezekiah's stuff today. Hezekiah, remember, 300 years after David and Solomon. So much newer in that sense. He also made many weapons and shields. Um, so in, in every sense, uh, we're not even done yet. He sent military officers over the people. What's that called when civilians have military people over them? It's not Marshal Dillon. It's martial Law. Yeah. And if you're under attack, it's a, probably a wise thing. The soldiers are the ones who know where the enemy is, and therefore the soldiers should be able to tell the civilians, get out of that building and go into this building. Yeah, Here in New Ulm, during uh, the, uh, the uh, Sioux uprising, uh, what was the guy's name? The commander in charge of, was it Flandro? I'm not sure if it was Flandro or some other Mankato name. Um, I'm not sure uh, what it was, but it might have been Flandro. I have to go around and read the signs again. Um, so, but he brought them all together with him. This is the most important part. He brought them all together in the square at the city gate, and he spoke to encourage them, so he gives them a pep talk. So communication lines are open as well. It's not just do this, it's why. That's important for the people. Be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid, do not be terrified because of the presence of the king of the Syria and the horde that is with him. Because the one that is with us is greater than those who are than all those who are with him. With him is only an arm of flesh. With us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. The people were encouraged by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So, yeah, he repaired the wall, made the towers taller, made a second wall outside the first wall, strengthened the rampart, the millow, made weapons and shields, military command over the population, changed the water core, but he encouraged the people by focusing on God. This is the most important thing that he did. After this... While Sennacherib, king of Assyria, was attacking Lachish with his powerful forces, this is one of the Bible's earliest references to Lachish. I think that Lachish was one of the later cities built up. It's one of the western cities uh, kind of overlooking the Philistine territory. Lachish and Azekah form a triangle. I'll, I'll do it this way. Jerusalem, Lachish, and Azekah make a triangle with, uh, uh, for, for um, the uh, penance and signal fires. In the book of Jeremiah, they get talked about because the Babylonians are are attacking those same cities. And here we have it in the days of Sennacherib back in 701. He sent his officials to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem. So Sennacherib isn't even at Jerusalem. He's at one of the strongholds because he doesn't think Jerusalem is as bad of a, or as difficult of a target. He wants to get get rid of these garrisons first, and then he'll go after Jerusalem. Sennacherib's officials proclaimed. This is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. What are you relying on as you sit there under siege in Jerusalem? Isn't Hezekiah misleading you? Brilliant thing to do if you want to get people to uh, desert a king is to put put a wedge in between the people and their leader. That's important. Don't trust your leader. And then, He is handing you over to die by famine and thirst when he says, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria. So now he even puts fear into them. If you don't follow me, it's going to be bad for you. Not realizing if we follow you, it's going to be bad for us too. Hasn't this same Hezekiah taken away the Lord's high places and altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, you are to worship in front of one altar and you are to send up sacrifices only from it? This is kind of interesting. First of all, Sennacherib has it wrong, probably on purpose. He's making Hezekiah sound like it's his idea to smash God's altars. They, they weren't God's altars, were they? But also, he's questioning their religion. You know, have, have you made God mad by what you've done? Um, so he's getting at, at, at their religion now, too. Don't you know what I and my fathers have done to all the people of the other lands? Were the gods of those foreign nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my father devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand? So will your God be able to deliver you from my hand? You know, on the other hand, what's he offering in return? I want to destroy you, so stop resisting me so I can destroy you. It's not a great, you know, uh, anyway. Now, don't let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him. For no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my father. How much less will your god? He will not deliver you from my hand. Well, now these are fighting words. If the Lord is listening to this, and he is, he says, I don't care what you say about the king and about this and that, but now you're saying that I'm not strong enough to fight against you, Sennacherib? Who are you? These officials had even more to say against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. By the way, um, in Chronicles, this is quite condensed from what we have in Kings and in Isaiah. Also in Kings and Isaiah, we only have one letter mentioned, but here in verse 17, The king of Assyria wrote letters to heap scorn against him by saying, um, so that's one detail that's different here than is in Kings or in Isaiah. Uh, It's Isaiah 36, 37, 38, 39, uh, the, the historical bridge of Isaiah. And he says here, like the gods of those foreign nations, which have not delivered their people from my hands, the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Notice the translator here has chosen to give the true God a small g, because the one speaking about him doesn't understand who he is. I think that's an appropriate uh, thing, especially since Hebrew doesn't have any, you know, any 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 cases of letters. It's it's either all capital or it's all small, whichever way you want to say. It's just one letter. So. They shouted loudly in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall in order to frighten them and terrify them so that they could take the city. Here, a whole scene in Kings is cleaned up and shortened considerably because the actual field commander, is it Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, um, he's saying things to the people. First of all, he says them in Hebrew. And the people, on the, the, the leaders on the walls, remember what they say? Speak to us in Aramaic because we understand it. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not going to talk in Aramaic. I'm going to talk in Hebrew because it's the people in there who are going to have to eat their own and drink their own. And then the translator has to say, am I going to say wee-wee and poo-poo? Or what kind of language would he probably use, this Assyrian general? And you have to say, what am I going to say the word of God says about this? You know, so... Filth and excrement and urine and things show up in the text here at that, at that point. Um, but the translator is always kind of wondering, how should I deal with this? Well, they spoke about the God of Jerusalem in the same way that they spoke about the gods of the peoples of the earth, the work of human hands. So his, the, his, his whole argument is basically two parts. Theology, your God must be angry that you smashed all his altars, which is wrong. But some of the people might have fallen for this. And then history, no nation's gods have saved them from Assyria. So just give up. You know? I suppose the, 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 the choice is give up and become a prisoner or don't give up and be killed. I suppose that's the actual choice, isn't it? Well, spoiler alert, the Lord saved Jerusalem. Hezekiah the king and Isaiah son of Amoz the prophet prayed about this. Crying out to heaven. So that's kind of Isaiah's only scene in all of this in Chronicles. It's not much. It's quite, quite a bit larger in, in, in his own book, but that's okay. So the Lord sent an angel who wiped out all the powerful warriors, the commanders, and the officers in the camp of the king of Assyria, and he returned to his land in disgrace. Uh, in uh, Kings we find out that this is 186,000 Assyrians who die at the hand of this angel, this destroying angel, um, out somewhere probably north of the washerman's field in that plateau um, in what we would call southern Benjamin or northern Judah. That's, that's where they were, I mean, 180, they're not going to fit in one city block. So they were, they were camped all around there. And then, and this is where Sennacherib says, I attacked and captured 46 cities, and I attacked Jerusalem. Well, he didn't capture Jerusalem, so he has to go back. And now we jump 20 years into the future, from 701 to 681 B.C. And there he went into the house of his God, and some of his offspring from his own body struck him down with the sword. So that's the incident I think Mark was talking about in the, um, earlier. Um, Sennacherib had changed the uh, the the order of of uh, of uh, what am I thinking of of succession. Um, his, uh, his his one wife who has a long Assyrian name. Can I just call her Judy? Is That okay? So Judy, his, who is his, of his 20 wives, she's the, he always says in public, isn't she beautiful? So he's, he, she's like the pretty one and his favorite and probably his original wife and the mother of Esarhaddon, I think. So he's got many, many, many children. And so he, something had happened that the, the succession was going to go to somebody else. Somebody fell out of favor. And he decides that Esarhaddon, Judy's son, is going to be the new king of Assyria after me. And the other boy gets upset, naturally, and with another one of his brothers, they actually murder him while he's praying in the, in the temple of his god. And then they have to run away, and they actually um, flee to Ararat to, to hide. Um, and, but the, the murder is so well documented that we even know that it was on October 20th, 681 B.C. All right. All right. The Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of everyone else. It's a great line. Um, he gave them rest on all sides. So um, it's, he's given them rest already to the west, to the south, to the east, and now to the north as well. Many people kept bringing offerings or gifts for the Lord um, to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, he was exalted in the eyes of all the nations after this, which maybe is a danger sign. Um, your, uh, your, uh, your ego can get puffed up. God blesses us with wives who challenge us. There's 100 years ago, the president of our seminary was um, August Pieper. And He used to, this is when our seminary uh, uh, was in Thienesville. It never moved, but we say now that it's in Mequon because Mequon changed, Thienesville didn't. And so anyway, um, uh, 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 President Pieper at that time lived in the seminary itself. If you visit our seminary, you go through the arch, to the right are the classrooms, and to the left would have been the apartments of the president. That's, That's what that area was in there. And he... President Pieper had gone down into Thienesville on a, one Sunday to preach um, as a guest preacher with his wife and some students. And they came up, back up to the seminary, and, and his wife had made lunch for all of them. And they're sitting down to the lunch, and the students are talking about, you know, ooh and ah and wonderful sermon, great theological points, sir, and all of this. And one of, I think one of the students asked Mrs. Pieper what she thought of the sermon, and I, I can kind of see her setting down the ham and taking off the oven mitts and kind of sighing and looking at her husband and saying, well, not so good again this week, I think, huh, honey? Like, and it's, and it's the again that always gets me when I quote her on that. Not so good again this week. Like, okay, she was keeping him in his place and humble um, over his preaching. We had little kids So most of the time that I was asking my wife how my preaching was, Kath would say, I have an infant. I haven't heard you preach in 20 years. You know, that was usually what she would say to me. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was dying. He prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not respond to the benefit granted him because his heart was proud. This is greatly telescoped uh, inward. So we have a, a, lar- a long story that we hardly have hardly any details for. Um, so there was wrath against him and against Judah and Jerusalem, but Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them during the days of Hezekiah. Uh, this is one of Isaiah's great prophecies, but Hezekiah doesn't want to do more, and Hezekiah is going to make a mistake. Uh, which is going to hurt the people. Hezekiah had very great wealth and honor. He made treasuries for his silver, gold, precious stones, spices and incense and shields and all kinds of expensive items. Which of those would make you especially wealthy in in this time period? I actually think it was spices. Sarah, did you say that? Once people get used to something like pepper or cinnamon or Queen Elizabeth and her sugar, uh, No one's going to take it away from them. And so uh, I I don't care about the gold. I've got to have pepper on the table. You know, that kind of thing. Just a couple verses left. Um, He made storehouses for the harvest of grain, new wine, olive oil, as well as stalls for all kinds of cattle. What an innovation that is. Stalls for cattle. Hygienically, one of the best things you can do for your cows is to give them a place where their hooves are not going to constantly be in some other cow's filth. Um, so the, 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 the next greatest step after this was what? It's the invention of concrete. So that, so that you could go from here to something even better, you know, which was proper drainage and so forth. But stalls for cattle, a great innovation. Pens for flocks of sheep and goats. He built cities for himself and amassed flocks of sheep and very many cattle. For God had given him very much property and many possessions. Our translator doesn't have enough adjectives. How often can you say very, very many, many muches and oodles? You know, it's hard to do. Hebrew does it. He gets away with it. This Hezekiah was the one who closed... Oh, here it is. I hope you got time for a couple pictures. Who closed the upper outlet of the Gihon Spring. He directed the water down to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah was successful in everything that he did. So... He diverted the water from outside of the city to within the city. And he digs a tunnel, and they dig it from the two ends to meet in the middle. And this is the path that they take. And they met. That's what's spectacular. In 700 B.C., and they're only a couple of inches off. uh, You can see inside the tunnel that that it's just a little bit of a jag in the the tunnel. Otherwise, they they, they, they had gotten it right. Um, It's just incredible. Um, inside much of it looks like this they, they, they found the inscription that the uh, diggers made in the middle of the tunnel when they heard the guys on the other side so they, they, they made this inscription somebody made a little plaster cast of it and brought it out which is really fortunate because the next guy decided oh I want to take that inscription out and it, it's kind of like as he's carrying it out he drops it so at least we have the plaster cast to know what all the letters said and so forth Part of the of the tunnel system actually looks like this. It's just gorgeous. So most of it's underground. Not all of it, but yeah. This, this was mostly done by following natural streams underground. and where's where the water going? Also there's a difference in the water level of this thing. So once, once the water was flowing, it was there's an obvious route and so forth that then they, they expanded after that after this, but it's a, an ingenious, amazing feat, a technological feat. When the envoys from the officials of Babylon were sent to him doing, there's a new name in the Bible, Babylon, um, to inquire about the, the sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in His heart. God says, "I'm not going to guide you here." And Hezekiah says, "Hey, come look at my treasure room. Ugh, dummy. So that the Babylonians have it in their mind that they would like to get a better look at the treasure room. Two verses left. You can find the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his faithfulness written in the vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, the prophet. I think that's the book of Isaiah. In the book and in the book of the Kings of Judah and Israel, I think that may well be the book of First and Second Kings. Um, Hezekiah rested with his fathers and was buried in the upper part of the tombs of the sons of David, maybe a special location. Um, All Judah and the residents of Jerusalem honored him in his death. Then his son Manasseh became king in his place. We're going to have to visit Manasseh next week, which is not going to be very pretty. That's all of our time. God bless you all. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.